0: So, Proverbs chapter 15 is where we are, and we made it down last week to verse 8, and today we're going to try to make it to verse 18, and so for context, let's just read it, starting at verse 1. If you're there with me, say amen. Amen. I'm going to back up to chapter 14 and start reading at verse 34. Y'all know, I just want to, want to get this in. So righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is towards the wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. You can go back and listen to all of these verses in detail. Verse 7. The lip of the wise disperses knowledge, but the heart of fools does not do so. And then verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked. And I'll explain this. But the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And he who hates correction will die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men? A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil but he who is of merry heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. A rifleman man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger, Alex, contention, and so, Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given us this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would draw our hearts and our minds to it to hear what you would have to say. Lord, I pray that you would take away all things that hinder and distractions and stuff that just gets in the way, Lord, and just push the enemy out of the way. He seeks to still to the sea which you sow. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work so that we may feast upon your word, Lord, that we may be strengthened by it, washed by it, uh, Lord, and that we would be sent out of here today different from the way that we came in. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all of these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And so as we look at this is interesting this morning, we're going to begin to see the way uh, in the first three verses, nine through 12, which I really love. Verse nine the way of the wicked, remember, being compared to those who follow righteousness. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at that in just a moment, contrasting the way um, and following. We'll look at that in verse 10. Remember, harsh discipline and death are for those who forsake righteousness and they hate correction. Verse 11, we, we saw that God, uh, God knows the heart of all men, and therefore he holds their destiny in his hands. And we'll see that so in, in scoffers. Uh, in verse 12, scoffers have no love for wisdom and they avoid those who actually speak wisdom. And so those are some of the things that we begin to see. And it's interesting as a line that's being drawn in these verses as we've been looking at it about the way of life. Um, and the way of life is getting grayed out by the world in the times that we live in. But it's very clear as we've been going through these verses, even the verses of the previous weeks, like chapter 14, verse 34, where it says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And and so you can you you remember, as I was telling you, when we looked at that verse, that righteousness, exalting a nation, lifting it up and causing it to prosper where sin is a reproach. And we've seen that in secular history. If you go back and do your study of nations and empires that fail, often it was due to corruption and things that were happening within its core. Rome fell because of immorality and corruption. And remember, we referenced, or I referenced for you in the book of Daniel, how Babylon fell because of immorality and corruption. How many of you remember that Babylon, in Babylon, they were having a drunken orgy, disrespecting our God, using his utensils, which were supposed to be for the worship in the temple back in Jerusalem, of course, and they were mocking him when the Persian... Empire, the army came in and captured Babylon without even having a fight. Y'all remember that. And so righteousness exalts a nation. So nations fall when they are corrupt from the inside. And we're going to see that as we go through. And then not only that, as you remember, as we went through the verses at the beginning of chapter 15, some of the verses we went through, like in verse three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch, on the evil and the good. And we're going to see that more as we go through here, that God sees everything. He is completely understanding of us when we are living wickedly, when we are living righteously for him. He sees everything. There's no escape. Everything is naked and open before the Lord. He is aware of everything and even our thoughts. Can you imagine that? In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to me and on Sunday mornings I sense it a lot and uh, especially being up so early on a Sunday morning it's almost as if the and I'll get into this but it's almost as if the whatever separates those of us the church who are already in heaven and those of us the church that are down here is is very thin it seems early on a sunday morning because it's almost as if i can hear worship happening in heaven and it's just like man you know it's not that i want to necessarily go there today i guess i kind of do but I don't, it's kind of like I'm caught between the thing like Paul, cause I have a family and, and I have you all. And I kind of want to hang out with y'all a little longer, but man, you know, you can almost hear it. And it's like, it's, it's, it's so wonderful. I believe that there is kind of like a, um, getting ahead of myself, but I believe that we have a spiritual location, if you will. You know, when we talk about space time, you know, it's not so much that God has to see our physical location I believe he knows our spiritual location beyond anything. You imagine when, when when the Lord came in the cool of the evening in the garden to meet with Adam, and he came down, and when Adam had sinned, and he said, Adam, where are you? Do you think God was unaware of Adam's physical location? Absolutely not. He knew where Adam was physically. It was, where are you spiritually? Something has happened in you, Adam. You've gone out of the way. And so that was what it is. And, and so as we look at these things and we begin to to, uh, to think on them is very important for us to understand that there is a way and that is what we're going to see. There is a way. In fact, there's a way that leads to righteousness, he says, and he's going to say those who forsake it, uh, that forsake this way, they will be disciplined. And there's also a way of the wicked which leads to hell and destruction is what we're seeing in these first three verses. And as we look at verse nine, it takes off from verse eight. Verse nine says the way of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord. But last week in verse eight, it said the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And so he's building this case. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord because it speaks of dead religion, which stinks to God. remember the word abomination means something that is disgusting to God. So sacrifices that come from the hands of the wicked are an abomination because it's dead religion and God doesn't want dead religion. It's almost like we're trying to pay God off or throw a tip his way so that we can actually live the way we want to live and try to appease him. It's kind of how it is, you know. I always think of, you know, the movie Rocky, which is a great movie. You know, Rocky ain't following the Lord, but he go to the priest and say, hey father, you know, before the fight, you know, y'all remember that? Father, throw me a blessing. You know, We used to do this in college. For some reason, every year on New Year's Eve, we knew we were about to send it up. So for some reason, every year I would go to church first on New Year's Eve and bring the New Year in just so in case I go too far that night, God might look out for me. Anybody other than me was in that level of sin? It was harsh. You break up in the church, ain't been to church, you know, wasn't no good churches around school anyway. Ain't been to church all semester, but, you know, we need to, we need to go in here and, and get right beforehand, and, and it's like that. But God doesn't want any type of dead religion. He wants our heart fully surrendered to him because he loves us, and, and he sent his son to die for us, and therefore he's trying to redeem us because he's a good father and because he sees, he knows He knows the end of the wicked, and he desires to save us. And see, this is what breaks you down when you really begin to realize the magnitude of the grace of God. When I think about for some reason, having grown up in church, for some reason I'm away, I'm living for the world in my youth, in my 20s, living for the world, and for some reason, God was always still sending and pulling at me and not letting me go when I was living like hell. He would always send some old dude with a green Bible in his hand, one of those little ones, a Gideon. And every time they would put that Bible in my hand, it was, I would stop dead in my tracks because I'm like, you know, I knew, you know. But then I would, I would keep living like hell and doing a thing and almost died. Uh, NC State University, Tucker, dorm. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's reality. We, we, we in a you know, the football player on my right, hurdle on my left, racing down this hallway Third floor with the window wide open, with stuff in my system that shouldn't have been, and um, and I couldn't I couldn't feel my legs. I was we was rolling too. I mean they was behind me, and I was winning the race, but I couldn't feel my legs anymore. And um, I knew I was I was I was no I was about to die. The window was open and I couldn't stop. So I just I had to I just stopped and I fell and I smacked into a radiator that was on. It was hot, but that's What kept me from going out the window. That same semester, somebody at Duke University went out a window and died. And God was like saying, see, you know, I think an angel caused me to not have any strength in my legs and something. I don't know. I should have, I could have died that semester. And then then there are many, 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 many other times where I just know that the weirdness, the soberness, because I was sober after that. After I hit that radiator, everything was out of my system was gone. (laughs) It was like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to bed, y'all. I'm done. You know, God was with me even then because he was trying to draw me. And there's some things I want you to consider as we begin to look at this that I want you to understand. Those who walk in the way of wickedness, their way of life is an abomination to the Lord. In contrast, though, if you notice the verse, he loves those who follow him or follow righteousness. That's what we need to consider. So the way of the wicked is a disgusting thing to the Lord. But before we go into the fact that he loves those who follow after righteousness, we have to remember, even in my story, that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so it implies this. God loves those who are living in the way of wickedness, but he does not love their way. So he demonstrated his love for them by sending his son to die so that they could, could be not only saved. And here's where we need to remember in the times we live in, not only saved, but changed, transformed into a new creation so that they can live in the way of righteousness. This is very important because people are getting it twisted today. In fact, I love this, uh, 1 John 4.10, if you're taking notes, 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So we see God's love through the work of Christ on the cross. He had to die to pay for sin. So then should I continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, the scriptures tell us. He loved us so much that Christ had to die to pay for sin because there is a consequence for sin. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. and, And he goes on to say that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're called, first of all, not just to be saved, but to be transformed. And then we're called to keep the commandments of God. So here's the thing, because he's gonna get into the next verse here as we look at it, and then I'll come back up but he's he's gonna say that uh, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. So when someone departs from the way of righteousness, implying that they were taught, God must use discipline to draw them back. So for one, those who don't know him, he sent his son to die, that they could be saved and then not left in the way they're living, but actually changed, that's a requirement, okay? But in those of us who know, Those of us who who have been taught, if we depart, we have to be disciplined. Well, why? Well, it's because he's a good father. We sing the song, good, good father, where any good father is going to also have discipline and correction because he loves the son in whom he is training. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, you write that down, and I'm going to read it for you. It says, if you endure chastening... Training, tutelage, correction. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? I can hear some of you turning there. I understand. In other words, he says, what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Because even, even bad fathers have to do this. He says then, but if you are without chastening, tutelage, training, correction, Of which all have become partakers, he says, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Uh Uh-oh. Therefore, to hate and resist God's correction leads to destruction and even death. We're going to see hell and destruction are before the Lord in a few minutes. So these are things that we have to take into account because of the times we live in and the scriptures are being twisted. And we need to be ready for that. So as we look at our text, then the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. He's not pleased with it. And so when we think about it, the world is crying out. Well, if if God is a God of love, then he'll accept me the way I am. That's what they say. They'll even go farther than that. This is the way he made me, you know. Because everybody, look, the bottom line is we enjoy sin for a moment and we want our way. And so we're going to do whatever we can to have our way. And then they're even, listen, they're even changing scripture. And even though they're not Greek or Hebrew scholars to try to say, no, that's not what the Bible meant. We'll get there in a moment. So the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. So God is trying to draw people to Him out, himself. Now, this word in, in verse 9 he loves him who follows righteousness. The word for follow there in the Hebrew, I, I think is wonderful. It's Hebrew, it's 872 91 if you are taking notes and you're using your concordance. It's Radaf, if it's not the way they pronounce it. I didn't roll my 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 letters and all that kind of stuff. But it here's what it means. Because we can just casually say follow. When we say follow, that's just like, you know, I don't know. If you think about it, you see the little ducks? in the line they just following each other you know and just taking a stroll that's not what the word means this word if you look at the historical books within the old testament you'll find this word is always used to describe a military pursuit of an enemy in other words they are about it they in hot pursuit getting ready to take somebody out that's what the word implies all the way through the historical books um, and so what it's saying is, 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 is he loves those, those who are diligently following after righteousness. And we're going to find out how that works in a few minutes. But we're following after righteousness. We want righteousness. We desire righteousness only because we've been born again. And so we're new creations. Because I didn't want righteousness before. God was drawing me to it. Actually, I wanted just enough of it to not die and then enjoy myself in sin. Until I called out to Christ. And then everything changed, everything changed. And so the word means to to be about pursuit of the things of God, because now we know him. Psalm 34, 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, go after peace. Proverbs 11, 19 says, as righteousness tended to life, so he that pursueth evil pursue it to his own death. So there are those that are, that are following hard after evil, and that's headed to destruction. And this is throughout the Bible. There's something that uh, Solomon is constantly putting before his children that we need to consider this morning, and we need to remember. Hey, look, we live in a time now, we live in a world where evangelism is starting to take on a little different level of intensity, and it's important that we are ready for that. I want to show you some verses really quick. Y'all bear with me. Revelation, I want you to turn. Revelation 21. We're going to go two places and then we'll get back to Proverbs. So keep your finger there. Revelation 21, that's the good chapter. That's the chapter, uh, new heaven, new earth, eternity, new Jerusalem. These are the verses I read to people who are on their deathbed, who, who are soon to see these things, you know. Um, so these are very good words. But in Revelation 21, verse 7 and eight is where I want to go, but I'm going to start reading at verse one. Notice it says <clears throat> Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Praise the Lord. Also, there is no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The implication is no more will we pray to him who we don't see, but we believe and know because the spirit reveals him to us, and that's faith, but we will be in his midst and we will see him. Only because we'll be in our resurrected bodies can we be that close to him and not blow up, which is going to be amazing. And it says, and God will wipe away. Notice this. He will wipe away every tear, verse 4, from their eyes. There shall be no more death. That's behind us at that point. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he says, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes, he who endures in this life, walking with the Lord, you know, sticking, standing in the faith shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And it speaks of sons and daughters here. So it's speaking to all of us who are born again who are walking with the Lord. And so that's good. So verse 7 is good. Say, that's good. I don't normally do that, but we got to acknowledge that that's good, right? Yeah, that's good. verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Scorners, uh, sorcerers, excuse me, idolaters, and all liars, notice this, shall have their part in the lake with, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, stay with me for a moment. A lot of things in that list, we're dealing with some difficult issues in the times that we live in. This word for sexually immoral that was mentioned there in verse 8 is pornos in the Greek, uh, 4205 in the Strong's Concordance is translated 10 times in the New Testament as fornicator. Or, excuse me, translated 10 times in the New Testament, five as fornicator. Fornication is just any, any sex that is not uh, covered by the marital bed. So any sex outside of marriage. Whoremonger, five times it's translated And it actually means, and there's a reason I'll mention in a moment why the Greeks used, why this word was there and why even the apostles use it. It actually means a man who prostitutes his body. This is the definition, a man who prostitutes his body to another's lust for hire as a male prostitute or a man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, which is any sex outside of marriage, actually. That's the definition of it. Now, I want to keep you there for a moment in that thought process and go to 1 Corinthians 6. One more place. One more place. Just bear with me. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. verse 9 says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god meaning that they won't they won't go there they won't inherit it it won't be their destiny he says do not be deceived this is he says neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It covers a lot of different sins. Almost everything could be wrapped up in some way within that, that list, actually. Now, here's the thing, you know, because it's very easy for us as, as Christians born again, we've learned a little bit about the Bible. So we're walking with the Lord and it could be easy for us to get puffed up and forget what he says in verse 11, which is, and such were some of you. Hey, in this room, some of us, many of us, all of us to some degree either lived a lifestyle as or indulged in one of those things I list, listed earlier. Right. So we all were there at some point. The beauty of the verse, notice verse 11 says, and here's the thing, but you were what, y'all? You were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the, of, the, of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of the living God. Now that's very beautiful. You were washed. Remember, everything that is used in worship in the tabernacle in the Old Testament had to be cleansed first. And even in the New Testament, men would have to go through purification before they would worship or serve. So there had to be a cleansing, first of all, in the Old Testament. And then Sanctified Sanctify means set apart as special for God. And so, likewise, in the Old Testament, the utensils used in worship were that way, where we are just utensils now because we've been washed. Amen? We've been washed. And and the Bible gives us two different indications of it. Jesus Jesus says, you are clean because I've washed you by the word. Another place, Peter says that we have been sprinkled spiritually with the blood of Christ. Amen. So we've been washed. Now we are sanctified, meaning we are made holy, even though sanctification is a process. So the Bible says you are now in the qualification, if you will, of sanctification. You are sanctified. You are holy because of the blood of Christ. Now, even though there's a sanctification work still happening in you, does that make sense? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified, meaning that that's a legal transaction. You are, before God, blameless. Not perfect. We still have a challenge, if you will, because we are battling through by the spirit. But if you die right now, and you stand before God, as a born-again believer, you are justified. Legally, he says, blood of my son applied. You are free. You are innocent. Because whom the son sets free is free indeed. And so he says that. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of God. So we got to look at this, y'all, as Christians living in a very dark age. Because there were some who will say, because they got a bunch of letters after whatever they believe in now, whatever they identify with, that these things were actually not what was intended by Paul when he wrote it. And it doesn't mean what we think it means. And they've even hijacked, if you will, the rainbow. Somebody showed me this week a picture of a full rainbow in California. That was one of the most beautiful ones I've ever seen. And, you know, it's to the point now that we all scared to even have a rainbow because somebody going to think we believe in something we don't necessarily believe in. That's God's rainbow. All it means is that he's going to bring judgment in a different way next time. That's all it means. That's his. So really quick, run through. Fornicators, in these verses, same thing. It's the word pornos, okay? Um, idolaters, worshipers of false gods. Idol- uh, idolater, you know what that means. It's a, it's, it means actually a covetous man as a worshiper of mammon. So it means that you are worshiping the things of this world, and you're worshiping false gods. And really, when you worship anything in this world that's not God, you're actually worshiping idols, and behind idols are demons. The Bible tells us that. Uh, Nor adulterers, he said. It means somebody unfaithful to his spouse, metaphorically unfaithful to God. Nor homosexuals. The word in the Greek is a different word. Um, You can look it up in your own time. And it, it means, listen, it means of a boy kept for homosexual relationship with men. That's exactly what it means. So you can say, well, the word homosexual is not there, but there's something else. It goes on to say a male who, su- who submits his body to unnatural lewdness of a male prostitute. And Paul includes women in this when he gets over to Romans chapter one, okay? He hits it from both ways. And why do they keep, def- why is it defined this way? Well, it's because in that culture for some weird Warped reason, pagan worship, which involves a lot of sexual immorality, for some reason, they like boys. It's weird. Almost to the same extent of the men in Sodom who didn't want Lot's daughters, they wanted those men who came in, which were actually angels. Even today, in the fall of the year, when the the Luciferians and those who worship Satan do their rituals, for some warped reason, they prefer a boy over a girl, because Satan is just that perverted. You follow what I'm saying? And so he says that th- this is exactly what, it, what it's pointing at, nor sodomites, which we understand that one. And so he says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. So it's important that we understand. And, and look, you're like, Pastor Kevin, we, why are we talking about this again? Well, we live in a hyper-LGBTQ environment. And here's what we got to understand. Because many of you have family members. Some of you used to struggle with these things. So you may, have, you may have some lingering same-sex attraction issues that you're dealing with and all this kind of stuff. If you're born again, then you just walk with Christ. The enemy will constantly try to make you think that, oh, you're going to fall back into that. No, 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 no. no. the the sunset's free is free indeed, okay? But here's the thing. If, if somebody you know was about to go around the corner and you knew there was a real hungry grizzly bear right around that corner, would you warn them? Why wouldn't you warn them? And I think that we live in this time. And so what happens is we're being bullied into the corner like we can't say nothing because if we say something, we don't have the love of God when the love of God is to say, God has a better plan for you. God loves you and wants you to turn to him, and he's going he's to change your life. He's going to give you new desires. He's going to give you a desire for new things because that's how much he actually loves you. And you can be bold with that because that's his gospel message. He doesn't leave anybody the way he finds them. Every last one of us who is saved had to be transformed from the filth that we used to practice. All of us had to go through that, and that's because that's Christianity, that's salvation. Love is truth, but God transforms, amen? Amen. And so we don't have to be, you know, afraid of the gospel because, look, if we get bullied into not giving the real gospel, then we've really missed it. We have to, in this time, give the gospel in, in a more clear way than ever before, and we have to be prayed up to have a demeanor that reflects Christ not an angry Christian who just wants to yell things at people, okay? Because because such were all of us. Some of you, but it says, but you you know what I'm saying. And we need to understand these things because back over in Proverbs, he's very clear about these things, and we don't want to water this stuff down because God loves everybody whom he created that's been made in his image, but some are going to go to hell because it says here in the verses, let's read it again. It says the way of the wicked, verse 9, is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows, who pursues diligently after righteousness. And then notice what he says next. Here it comes. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. To forsake, to turn away, it, it kind of implies that there's been some teaching, there's been some understanding of the way. And if you remember reading through the book of Acts, or your church history, the, being in Christ was called the way. Um, how many of you knew that? They called us those, uh, those who are of the way, meaning Christ, you know, and so that's what it implies. So that means that they've been taught they know the way, but they have forsaken the way because God loves them. As I've already covered, he will discipline those of us who forsake the way. And he, listen, and he who hates correction will die. I mean, in other words, those who don't want to receive the love of God. Will die. In other words, listen, it's very clear. Those who refuse correction, well, correction starts with the gospel because repentance is understanding correction. What do I mean? Well, the gospel hit me in the face like a ton of bricks and woke me up and I realized I'm wrong. My beliefs are wrong. What I'm practicing is wrong. How I'm living is wrong. I need to turn to you, Lord. I need you to help me. That, that's correction. Hey, I'm, I'm, I got corrected by the gospel. And from there, every day, the word in the spirit is still correcting me. And that's the walk of sanctification. And so nobody gets a pass on that. It, it doesn't matter that, well, I feel this way. Well, who cares about how you feel? But, but that's for us to talk about on Sunday amongst the believers. You might say, well, I understand you feel that way. I understand this is what you're, you desire. Because, look, the reality is our flesh desires what it wants. And everybody has a flavor of sin. But Christ came to pay for that sin. You know, and you can just start right there, you know, and just meet people right where they are. So because there's a harsh discipline coming. Why? Because verse 11 says, hell and destruction are before the Lord. A loving, merciful God, hell and destruction are before him. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men. He has the hearts of the sons of men before him. I believe this is why when I was living in sin, he always sent a Gideon, you know, or, or somebody else who probably was doing worse sin than me would say something to remind me that I, I shouldn't be doing these things. It's just weird how God will speak to you. You ever notice that kind of stuff? It's just weird how he would do it as a young man and he would just constantly speak because he, he, he loved me and I finally gave in. And cried out to him, you know, caught up in, 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 in immorality, trying to get it right on my own, having no power within myself to do so. I, I literally, I don't usually get into my dev, but I kicked the young lady out, and you got to go. And I hit my knees, and I cried out to him. And, you know, because I tried to stay away from sin and it knocked at the door anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't go out that night. You know, my boys was out. I stayed home, y'all. I was I was like, I, but, you know, it doesn't matter. You can stay home. But if you don't surrender to Christ, staying home won't keep you from destruction. No, no, you got to turn to Christ. You got to cry out. Hell and destruction are before the Lord, y'all. So how much more? the hearts and sons of men. And because he has a great love for those who are made in his image, he's put a, a great passion in love, his love, inside of us. And we have to learn how to be ambassadors and how to be ministers of that gospel more and more in this time that we live in. And so a few minutes left, verse 13. No, verse 12, I got I to catch that. Remember, the scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A scoffer, remember, that's the arrogant one who wants nothing to do with it. They know how, they don't want to hear nothing. They got it. They can do their own thing. That's someone who won't hear. They won't hear the truth. They won't hear the gospel. So God will have a different way to reach them. A lot of times it's they have to fall flat on their face and, and go through a lot before they finally are willing to hear. And many, many will get saved before the Lord comes. But there are those who, no matter what in this age, will hear nothing to do with Christ. They, are, they hear what we are saying but want nothing to do with it. They will end up in the tribulation. And then that will be a last opportunity. Verse 13, y'all doing okay? Yeah. All right, verse 13 through 15, we get another theme that comes into this thing, but it switches gears. Notice it says, I like this, a merry heart makes a cheerful Countenance. Countenance literally means face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Then it says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. And then it says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. So these three verses bring us kind of a, another theme. Verse 13 says, The heart kind of means that the heart of a person. What's inside reflects in their outward countenance. So the face becomes a monitor, if you will, uh, to make visible the state of the heart. Y'all, y'all catching that? Verse 15, the afflicted person um, experiences evil days compared to a merry heart uh, that has a continual feast. And we'll see that. And then in verse 14, the key of it all is in verse 14, the understanding heart seeks knowledge. And so we kind of see all of those things playing out here. So the Bible is trying to teach us, listen, that the heart of a person reflects in their outward countenance. And that's why Proverbs tells us to guard the heart because out of it flows the issues of life. Jesus taught us that um, our words come from the storeroom of our hearts and that sin actually begins in the heart. And, And so as a Christian, we would do better not to focus on the outward countenance, which becomes kind of fake and, you know, I'm glad we do focus on it to some degree because we look good when we come on Sunday mornings. You know, we've, we've dressed it up a little bit, and that's good. But rather, and more importantly, we should work on the inward heart and the outward would follow. And see, I've experienced personally, and maybe you agree, people within the body of Christ being able to actually read my countenance and discern things about my inward. And that's amazing to begin to think about that. Yeah. Anybody else ever had that? It's, it's crazy. You know, we used to have this R&B song back in the day. Uh, it's written all over your face. I don't know why that came in my mind. When <laughs> anyway, don't go, don't go look it up. It ain't no. <laughs> I actually tried to go listen to it. I'm like, man, I, we used to listen to this stuff. I and mean, the words don't even mean nothing, you know. But the reality is that uh, within the body of Christ, you can't hide your heart. Man, you know, that ain't right. I should be able to hide. This is my personal space. You ain't got no, you don't, you don't need, it's not your business what's going on in here. But the body of Christ was created to heal itself just like your body was created to heal yourself. So if you cut yourself, there are cells that come to the rescue and they begin to cause blood clot and, and stop the bleeding and then the scab and everything heals up. And then six months later, you never saw, you can't even find the, where the cut was. You follow me? God is that way in creation. God creates an organism with what it needs to, to sustain itself. You know, just like the fact that we're still here, he created everything with its seed within itself to continue. Y'all understand? In creation, everything. He, so God is the master creator. He knows everything. And isn't that amazing? When you dig scientifically and and biologically and medically into the creation, it blows your mind. Well, he created the body of Christ the same way when he birthed it with his spirit. Everything necessary was given to us at Pentecost. And now every time somebody gets saved, they get absorbed into this. And so for that reason, I want to hide what's going on inside. And he'll grab someone whom he can trust to do ministry at that moment. And through discernment of the spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or just discernment, they can, they can see what's going on in here. And we, we got guys that are like that, ladies that are like that here at the church. And even on our elder team, when we're in there praying, you know, there's one who just, he can sense what's going on in another person's life. And, and, and I, you know, I, my heart goes out to those of you who have that gift because sometimes you wear that so heavy on yourself. It causes you to get down a little bit because you see somebody else, you see through them and see what's going on in them. Now, granted, on the surface, we can all look at somebody and say, that person looks sad, right? Or that person looks happy. Yeah, but it goes beyond that. There's a spiritual discernment for this. And so, that's something we need to take into consideration. So, a merry heart, he says here, he says it. it makes a, a cheerful countenance, a cheerful face. But notice, by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. And I believe that that's there because we need to consider by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. So if you have a sorrowful heart and you may be smiling today, putting on fake airs, I wanna challenge you because God doesn't want your spirit broken when you're here at church, a place where there can be some healing, where you can submit yourself to the fact that somebody asks you, because I mean, people all the time, how you doing? Are you asking me how am I doing? Do I look like I ain't doing good or something? You know, that's me. <laughs> like, why are you asking me? But God reminds me, maybe they, maybe they see. Even though you're smiling, maybe they see. And maybe I should submit to it. Maybe that's the, that's the one person maybe. Now, 50 of y'all are going to ask me that today, so I have to be selective. Um, but there's that one person where you got to say, okay, look, I don't know what you see, but here's what it is. And if you, and, and look, and the, the, the whole point is not to go talk about nothing. It's the point is to just, bam, right there on the spot, pray. You know, two are better than one, have a good reward for their, their labor. We use that in marriage, but I think it's in spiritual journey because Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Two can, two can do spiritual warfare better together. When two come together and they seek the Lord in prayer, that's a powerful thing. Don't you all agree? So if God gives someone the spiritual discernment to see where you're really at, that's a moment for prayer and spiritual warfare together. Because then that person knows what you're going through and they're going to be praying through the week. It won't just stop there. Now somebody else is praying. And then this happens a lot. Some of you have that that gift of discernment. You see something in somebody and you never go talk to them because you're shy. But you put them on your prayer list. And that's fine. That's fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And then he goes on. He says, the heart of him who has understanding, notice, seeks knowledge. This is the key, y'all. But the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. So foolish people just continue in foolishness. But the heart of him who has understanding, he seeks knowledge. Well, knowledge, wisdom, we're in the book of Proverbs. It's in the Bible. The Spirit wrote it. So seeking after the knowledge of Christ. And I believe there's a knowledge of Christ in the moment. There is biblical knowledge of Christ. Theology, we understand that. Okay, doctrine. (laughs) But in the moment where you're living with your specific situation, there is the knowledge of Christ. David sought out God in the tomb, or excuse me, in the cave of Adullam, being chased by everybody. Philistines wanted him dead because he had killed a bunch of them. Saul wanted him dead because he was envious and had an evil spirit. Y'all know how it goes on. And David had to seek out God in every moment of his life. And so you got to seek the knowledge of God right where you are right now. You know? And that's when he will begin to minister on the inside of you and change your your, your countenance. Verse 15 says all the days of the afflicted, those who are wretched and weary and beat down are evil. That's why Paul says we got to redeem the time because the days are evil. But notice what he says, but the uh, in, in verse uh, 15, but he who is of merry heart has a continual feast. I like continual feast because it implies that there's a constant source That's giving us what we need. I was driving down the mountain after the the wedding and and going up the mountain and all this stuff. And I noticed they got these little places where they've bricked up where the flow of the water in the streams comes out right at that point. It's almost and it just is constantly running from the top of the mountain down and you can get a fresh, fresh drink of water there. And I think about that refreshment, that continual thing that's being supplied, the sufficiency of Christ, as Paul said in Second Corinthians, in other words, There is a continual feast for those who have a merry heart, but I believe their hearts made merry because they've sought out Christ right where they are. And they've even allowed a brother or sister to come alongside and pray. And it changes what's going on in here. And then that reflects back out on the outside and they have a continual feast. I love this. David says that he's prepared a table. For me in the presence of my enemy, there is a marriage feast that's been prepared of which those of us who know the Lord will will join him at in heaven. While there's tribulation on earth, those who are born again will be snatched up to the wedding feast of the lamb. We're going to talk about that at marriage ministry in a few weeks. All right. Um, So a few more verses, verse 16 and 17, and we'll stop. Notice it says, better is a little... With the fear of the Lord, then great treasure with trouble. You know, it's, 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 and and I'll read the next one too. It says, uh, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Y'all catch those verses? Beautiful stuff. The fear of the Lord is better than all treasures. And, you know, I don't know how it is, but there are certain people that you, you come to know. You could be, you could have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and be in their presence and just be enjoying yourself, you know, because there's love there. I mean, I I would rather, I would rather if I could go back to my grandmother's house, whatever she would put on the table and love was always great. I'd rather have that than the richest palace in the world and the finest delicacies. In other words, there are some things that are real important and it's the love of Christ in our lives and what we have one for another. Hey, you know, as we continue before the Lord comes back, you know, as the words of Jesus seem to imply, you know, days will get difficult, you know. And as as much of the church has already seen in other parts of the world, like the Ukrainians and, and whatnot. We were supposed to play a video today. Um, did we have that loaded up? No, oh, we didn't. Okay. Okay. Um, they're happy, actually. We think that they had to leave their, their, their homes and their churches and their husbands, fathers, and brothers back in Ukraine. And they're and they overjoyed because they're worshiping together and they're seeking the Lord together. There's something more important than everything you may be seeking after. And if you don't find that while there's time, you know, you're missing life. Everybody's pursuing after stuff. And stuff's going to burn. We ain't taking none of it with us. So don't miss the important parts of life, which is coming to know Christ and then having the sweet fellowship with him and those who know him. You know, that's the reality of it. So let's bow our heads. Now, remember, as I pray, we're going to have an elder on up on my left, I think. Yes. All right. And um, also on my right, maybe somebody. Okay, two elders, one on my right, one on my left. If you need prayer for any reason, I want you to come forward and, uh, and let them know what you need prayer for. Um, and bow your heads now. If, if there's anyone here who you've never come to Christ, never really done that before, you, you, you've heard these things, you know these things, but for some reason today you've, you've sensed a uh, sense of urgency in your heart. That's wonderful. That's just the Holy Spirit. Um, and if that is you right where you are, in fact, you don't even have to raise your hand or do anything today. We don't, we don't need to, to know what's going on necessarily, but I want to pray first for you. And then I want you to come to one of these elders or come find me. Um, and then anybody that needs prayer for healing or anything. But if you're coming to the Lord, then just just hear this. And, and if you agree with this, then come forward to the elders. If you would say, Father I, God, I know that I have not been in your way. I've walked the path of wickedness. But today, I want to come to you. And I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess that before you. And I ask, I believe, first, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and he died for my sin and rose on the third day and is now with you in heaven. And I believe that in his sacrifice, I can have forgiveness. And I I ask you for that forgiveness now. And I, I ask that you would give me newness of life and that you would pour your spirit into my life. And if you prayed that prayer, then I'm gonna urge you to come to the elders. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray, and for all of us, Lord, that you go before us this week, that you would protect us and keep us, Lord God. Give us the spiritual discernment where and when we need it, Lord God, to navigate this life. We submit to your love and your leading until we meet together again. In Jesus' name, let's say together, amen. God bless you.